This episode of the Nerd Up Podcast made possible in part by Eagle Theater. Visit them online at eagletheater.net and by Classic Hits WTYE. Listen online at WTYEFM.com and made possible by proud supporters just like you. Now, come on, baby, tell me who's the nerd. Nerd up, y'all. It's time for the Nerd Up Podcast, and here's your pod host, Guilty Wilson. Nerd Up! Welcome to another episode of the Nerd Up Podcast. This time around, Tony, you cannot talk about Picard. We don't have the time. But. Uh, nope. But, nope. Uh, nope. Sorry. We have fine, to do... you can't talk about The Last of Us. All right. Although, no. Uh. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you what. I'll make a deal with you. Next, uh, we'll, we'll do a podcast next week and talk about Last of Us, Picard, and... Something what something else nerdy? Cocaine bear. Okay. Oh yeah, because I, I really I do want to go see. I cocaine want to see bear. that one really really. I know bad. it's ridiculous, and that's part of why I think I want to see it so badly. And I'll see Meth Gator too, but that's not. Yeah, Meth Gator is not coming out for a minute. <laughs> so, but no, this time reason we don't have time is because again the live at the five show we did the first show which was on the last podcast the Voice of Death it's up and running. Well, now we're going to do the Brave New World portion of the show and i'm i'm really liking this one because this one turned out really nice because and you're not going to get me to admit that i messed up the last recording you're not going to get me to no, admit that because uh-uh. i you know not but, at all but this one turned out great <laughs> i didn't mess up anything on this one and it's it's a good one so uh let's just talk about ba- basically brave new world aldous huxley novel uh one of those supposed to be read in high school college type things and um yeah i got- apparently didn't go to the right high school or college because <laughs> i was completely unaware of brave new world That's- until we did the table read uh-huh. for this for this five show uh and, and again as i mentioned last time when we were talking about it once i once we did the table read i came to realize well shit everything i love sci-fi <laughs> has been inspired by or is a direct ripoff or an homage to the certainly the themes yeah, that yeah, are covered yeah, in yeah. Brave New World, that sort of utopian dystopian future. I think Aldous called it a negative utopia. Negative utopia. Which is different. I've heard of utopia. That's where everything's perfect. I've heard of dystopia. That's where the future and everything's not perfect, but they're making it seem perfect. Yeah. And then this one, I would almost say a dystopia, but he called it a negative dystopia, and I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why. Well, and I'm so glad because that was one of my favorite books. Um, uh, I was supposed to read it in high school, kind of did, and got through the the report section and got my grade that I needed <laughs> to pass. Well, then when I was in the Navy, when you're out to sea, uh, and there, and you do have time, there's a lot of reading I did. I was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> your time in the Navy afforded you opportunities yeah. to do some reading. Cause... Yeah, when when we weren't shooting Iranians, we were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were... And, there, and there's only so many so many uh, ocean vistas you can stare at. Right, right. Once you've seen an ocean sunset, you've seen them all because. Yeah. It's just big, a flat water thing yep. uh, with the sun. Uh, but anyway, no, seriously, it's like I had to pick up something, and I read a lot of books. In fact, there were times that uh, I read a lot of Stephen King books, and Stephen King does not write small novels. Right. And there's a, a couple times I, I in your, you're in your rack in the, in the, in the court, um, in your uh, birthing area, and uh, that's not where you're born. I was going to say, that has nothing to do with uh, <laughs> birth and babies. No, uh, but it's where all the beds are, and all, everybody sleeps. The racks is what they are. Anyway, then I'd, I'd be in mine, be reading. And people be talking. You could hear everybody talk. You know, there's no closed nothing. There's no privacy. But I'd hear these guys, did you see what Wilson's reading? Oh, my gosh. He, this guy puts away books that are just so thick. It's like, how does he read those, that big of a book? 
I'm like, you just turn the page. All right. Because <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to ignore you idiots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I did, I, I, and I still do love to read. And, and, and Brave New World, I was so happy by the fact that uh, people like, like you never read it, and you're like, wait, this sounds like a familiar theme. And I love the fact that you saw that. And well, the first one came up was Demolition Man. First one, yeah, Demolition Man. And, you know, uh, the themes were pretty obvious. And the more I got to thinking about it, I know – uh, I think Matrix was probably oh, a, yeah. heavily inspired by, again, some of those same themes, mm-hmm. uh, some of those same thoughts. And I know I have seen a number of other, uh, another, a number of other movies mm-hmm. and sci-fi properties that kind of deal with the same idea of yeah. you, you, you know, everybody has a place and everybody knows their place and everybody's happy in that place, whether they're actually happy or not. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me Christian Bale was in one that was a similar type. And I, for the life was of that, me, I can't remember was what that it Gattaca? was. I can't remember. I know. No, I don't know if he was in, I don't remember. The, but yeah. I have a feeling if you did a quick Google search for, you know. Stuff inspired by Brave New World, <laughs> yeah, the IMDb listing is going to be lengthy. Well, I've always thought that, you know, H.G. Wells, uh, Aldous Huxley, George Orwell, and he, I didn't even throw in Heinlein and Asimov. Uh, those those guys were like the foundation of all sci-fi, and anything right. you see now is based on that. Oh, and Frank Herbert, of course, because Star Wars ripped, totally ripped off Dune. Yeah, <laughs> completely <laughs> and totally and unabashedly. Well, that's another thing I ruined for you. I made you go see the Dune movie, and uh, well, you're like, wait, that, this is all Star Wars. <laughs> that, one, that one I was a bit more aware. Of, right, <laughs> but yeah, we definitely destroyed my brother-in-law. Uh, oh yeah, Greg, <laughs> Greg White. Uh, we brought it up to him, and he goes, "Really?" And then by the end of it, he goes, "Well, hell." <laughs> <laughs> when I loved it because all during the movie too, he'd lean over. That was in you know a new point. You know, a uh-huh. point. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. So, and again, I was glad, and that's one of the reasons why I was happy to do this show this time around because it's one of those. It's one of my favorites, and I love sharing my favorites. And uh, Laurel Preston, one of she played Lenina Crown in this. She's another one that was a big fan of the book as well. So, as two of us there were like, we're, we're, we were pretending to be book snobs for the day. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So uh, originally this. Show again. We're doing old radio scripts. Uh, this one was uh, from the Columbia Broadcasting Workshop. They'd have these workshops where they did a lot of old uh, stories. Uh, they did plays. Uh, I think they did Hamlet and a few other Shakespeare. And this is one. Of, they did this one in a two part. We did it in one part. They did it in two parts. Uh, the first time it aired, part one was January twenty seventh, nineteen fifty six, on the Columbia Network. And also, part two was February third, nineteen fifty six. So it was a little bit later. I was thinking these were 30s and 40s, but th- this one was in the 50s and the other one was in the 40s. So that's uh, a little bit off. But any, either way, uh, this kind of tells you the, well, the, uh, the time that. When did when did Aldous Huxley first write the the book? When I mean it, it's I would say 30s, 30s. 40s. Yeah, I'd say no. early 30s if I remember right. Because I remember George Orwell, Orwell uh, published or wrote 1984 in 1948. And the reason he got 84 was because he just reversed the numbers. Right. Aldous Huxley didn't make it that easy. <laughs> but I know it was like at least 10 years before uh, George Orwell. So I, that's, gotcha. that's my running on that. But uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, there's the Peacock series the, uh, based on it. Yeah. Um, and I would say if you're like me and you're not a big fan of reading, <laughs> go watch the Peacock series. It it's, really is fantastic. And it was done so well that I, I want to I wanna watch more. Mm-hmm. In that world. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas the the novel, the Aldous Huxley, Huxley original was 
very definitive in its ending. Yeah. We won't spoil it, but it was it was pretty definitive in its ending. Yeah. Uh, the Peacock series left it a little more open. Yeah. So if they were to do a sequel to it, it could be done. Yeah. And I'd like to see one because, uh, I mean, I like, I like sequels to any sci-fi. And I'd like to see one done where we actually see the overthrow of that utopian government well see that's i want to see a prequel to ah, that because i'd like to see how they got there yeah that's another you know because they kind of allude to the idea that uh, soma was a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. and when i mentioned soma to my wife she went wait that's a real drug it is yeah <laughs> like it i don't she couldn't remember for sure what it was for but she knew it really existed <laughs> see even the drug companies are ripping off uh, actually yeah yeah <laughs> Good point. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Let's get right into it. Uh, right after this break, we're going to hear uh, Brave New World in its entirety, and uh, then we'll come back, and, and if, if Tony and I are left, uh, you know, not sobbing, yeah, it's, it's kind of got a sad ending. Well, that's and I got a kick out of Rachel Carter when we did the first table read, and we hit that ending. Mm-hmm. She she threw her script down and said, nope, screw it. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, here it is. Brave New World as performed by the Fife Opera House par- players at the Fife Opera House in beautiful downtown Palestine, Illinois, and not Palestine. Have you ever wondered what makes Eagle Theater possible? It's you in a world of Netflix, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. It's your loyalty to Eagle Theater that makes first-run movies here a thing. And we want to say thank you with the annual Popcorn Bucket. Buy the annual bucket and you're set to save. When you buy the bucket, we'll fill it for free. And each time you come back for another visit, we'll fill it for just $3.50. Buy the bucket, support the Eagle Theater, and save. Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, coming into the future for you, the distinguished author, Mr. Aldous Huxley. Brave New World is a fantastic parable about the dehumanization of human beings. In the negative utopia described in my story, man has been subordinated to his own inventions. Science, technology, social organization, these things have ceased to serve man. They have become his masters. About a century has passed since my book was published. In that time, our world has taken so many steps in the wrong direction that if I were writing this book today, I wouldn't date it 600 years into the future. At the most, 100? The price of liberty and even of common humanity is eternal vigilance. Tonight, the Fife Opera House Players present a program devoted to one of the world's most shocking and famous novels, Aldous Huxley's terrifying forecast of the future, Brave New World. I'm Aldous Huxley, and these are the sounds of the Brave New World, of test tube and decanter, of hissing injectors, and gurgling blood substitute. The year is AF 632. 632 years after Ford. We are inside the London Hatchery and Conditioning Center, and this is the fertilizing room, an enormous laboratory where temperature is never allowed to fall below 98.6. And here comes the director of hatcheries and conditioning in person, bringing with him a group of young students. 
is settling down into some serious work. Today I just want to give you a general idea of things. These are the incubators, and here is the week's supply of ova, kept at blood heat. Come along, students. Now, here we immerse the eggs into a warm bullion containing free-swimming spermatozoa. Immersion continues until the eggs are all fertilized. Ah, and over here. Here is where we bottle the alphas and betas. In short, students, the perfect process for manufacturing healthy babies. Are there any questions? Uh, sir, will you explain the Bakanovsky process? I'm glad you asked that. Students, take this down. Bakanovsky's process, where in olden times, one egg made one embryo, which made one baby. Today we've improved on all that. Now the egg will bud, will divide, from 8 to 96 buds. And every bud will grow into a perfectly formed embryo. And every embryo into a mature baby, making 96 human beings grow where only one grew before. Progress! Wow. Uh, but, uh, what advantage is it, sir? I, I mean, uh, uh... Oh, can't you see? Where in olden times nature allowed us only to have twins, or perhaps triplets or so, today we can create scores, yes, scores, of identical individuals. We can manufacture men and women in uniform batches. Think of it, an entire factory staffed with the product of one single egg. Ninety-six identical individuals working ninety-six identical machines. At last, society really knows where it stands. Remember, it was our Ford who gave us this concept of the assembly line when he was on Earth many centuries ago. Our Ford. And now, students, we will go up to the bottling room where we shall see how we create each class of society. Alphas, betas, deltas, etc. Come with me. Well, Lenina. Oh, director. Charming, charming. Ah, what, what are you injecting into our embryos today, my dear? Typhoid antitoxins? Yes, sir. Are you, uh, busy this afternoon? Oh, not after five, sir. Good. Suppose we get together, then, on the roof? That would be fine. I've admired you for some time, Lenina. I'm looking forward to a closer acquaintance. Thank you, sir. And now, students, we're off to the bottling room. I'm impressed. You are a lucky girl. The director of hatcheries and conditioning. Oh, hello, Fanny. Oh, you can trust the director to be the perfect gentleman. I saw him pat you. He wants me. You see, that shows what he stands for, the strictest conventionality. And it's about time you started belonging to someone else, my dear. But I like Henry Foster. We've only been with each other four months. Four months? Well, what would the district world controller say? You know how they disapprove of anything intense or long drawn. And it's... It isn't as though there were anything painful or disagreeable about being with one or two other men besides Henry. After all, everyone belongs to everyone else. You're quite right, Fanny, as usual. Good girl. Fanny, do you know Bernard Marx? <gasps> Bernard Marx? You don't mean to say... Well, why not? Bernard's an alpha plus. Besides, 
He asked me to go to New Mexico to the Savage Reservation with him. But his reputation! They say he doesn't like obstacle golf. Oh, they say, they say. And that he spends most of his time by himself, alone. They say somebody made a mistake when he was still in the bottle, thought he was a gamma, and put alcohol into his blood substitute. That's why he's so stunted. Oh, what nonsense. Well, very well, Lenina. It's your life, my dear. But I think you're heading for trouble. And here we have the bottling room. Little embryos, carefully bottled, being rocked gently to and fro as they did in olden days when carried by their mothers. Now, students, you must learn to distinguish between smut and science. I'm going to use that word again. As scientists of tomorrow, you must learn to cope with it. Mother. There, that's better. As a matter of fact, there is an area in our world where humans are still viviparous, still give birth to their children, the Savage Reservation in New Mexico. I uh, visited there once myself many years ago. Dreadful, filthy place. Naturally, civilization has improved on all that. Ah, it is here we control the embryo's growth, each batch carefully regulated to produce the exact class of citizen we desire. And here is our Mr. Henry Foster, in charge of bottling. Oh, Henry. Yes, sir. Please explain the process to the students. Oh, delighted, sir. By the way, Henry, before you begin, I made a date with Lenina Crown this afternoon. Oh, really? I'm delighted, sir. I'm sure you'll enjoy belonging to her. <laughs> Good. Very pneumatic girl. Now please proceed. This way, students. And here we advance the process. One by one, the eggs are transferred from their test tubes into these large decanters and moved along to the labelers. Carefully labeled as to heredity, date of fertilization, sex, name, and serial number. Students, there are over 88 terabytes of information in these servers. Now, here is where we actually predestine and condition. Nothing is so unstabilizing to society as unhappy people. We avoid all that by preconditioning our embryos. And now, we're entering the heat conditioning room. Hot tunnels alternating with cool tunnels. Exposure to cold is accompanied by exposure to x-rays. By the time these babies are decanted, they have a perfect horror of cold. Thus, they are perfectly prepared to emigrate to the tropics to be miners and acetate silk spinners or steel workers. And that, that is the secret of happiness and virtue. Liking what you have got to do. All conditioning aims at that. Making people like their unescapable social destiny. Oh, 10 to 3. Time to visit the nurseries. And so the director continued on his tour. Meanwhile, in his rooms high above the city, Bernard Marks nervously paced the floor. I'm taking Lenina Crown to New Mexico with me, Helmholtz, to the Savage Reservation. Well, it's about time. What do you mean by that? I'll be frank, Bernard. There's been a lot of talk about your behavior at the College of Emotional Engineering. Of course, I've been defending you, but... And I'm supposed to be grateful? 
because you're a sec successful feelies writer? Because you're tall, well-built, have all the partners you want? Oh, Bernard, now you know how I feel. I want to write. I mean seriously, not slogans or feelies. I... I want to write something important. Oh. Lately, I've been cutting out my committees and my partners. The director called me in just the other day. Are you in trouble, too? There's a poem I wrote. Too emotional, he said. Hmm. He gave me the lecture about being an alpha plus, about remembering to behave even as a little infant. I know. I tried to explain to Lenina, but she doesn't understand. Or won't understand. All those other men she belongs to, Henry Foster, Benito Hoover, they treat her like, like a side of beef. It's disgusting. It's socially proper. We share and we share alike, remember? But I want her for myself, alone. Bernard, you're my closest friend. Now, you listen to me. You can't win this way. Follow the rules, play the game, be happy. As we go on through the rest of the show tonight, one of the things I may want to point out, you notice the students may have their own dispersal systems of SOMA. If they feel uncomfortable or any emotion, they just click some more SOMA and they feel better. The nursery was on the fifth floor. The sign over the door said, Neo-Pavlovian Conditioning Room. It was a large bare room, very bright and sunny. Half a dozen nurses, trousered and jacketed in the regulation white viscous linen uniform. They were engaged in setting out bowls of roses in a long row across the floor. The nurses stiffened to attention as the director of hatcheries and conditioning came in, followed by his students. Set out the books. In silence, the nurses obeyed his command. Between the rose bowls, the books were duly set out. Now bring in the children. They hurried out of the room and returned in a moment, each pushing a kind of sm a tall, dumb waiter. Laden on all its four wire-knitted shelves were eight-month-old babies, all exactly alike, a Bukhanovsky group. And all, since their cast was Delta, were dressed in khaki diapers. Put them down on the floor. Now, turn them so they can see the flowers and books. Turned, the babies at once fell silent. Then began to crawl towards those clusters of sleek colors, those shapes so gay and brilliant. From the ranks of the babies came little squeals of excitement, gurgles, and twitterings of pleasure. The swiftest crawlers were already at their goal. Small hands reached out uncertainly, touched, and grasped, unpeddling the roses, trampling the illuminated pages of the books. Watch carefully, students. All right, nurses, pull the lever. And now we proceed to rub in the lesson with a mild electric shock. That's enough. All right. Take them away, nurses. Observe, henceforth, 
Books and flowers will be associated in their minds with loud, unpleasant noises and electric shock. And after 200 repetitions of the same or a similar lesson, will be wedded forever. What man has joined, nature is powerless to put asunder. They'll be safe from books and botany all their lives. But sir, since these are lower caste children, anyway, and will never read, why bother to condition them against flowers? Simple economics. If gammas, deltas, or even epsilons like flowers in nature, soon you'd see them wasting their time visiting the countryside. And of what economic use is that? The love of nature keeps no factories busy. <laughs> yeah, true. It was decided to abolish it, at least among the lower classes. Any further questions? Uh, sir, would you tell us about the sleep teaching? I'm glad you asked that. The most ingenious development of all. Sleep teaching is given to all our children as they grow to maturity. A little voice murmurs slogans in their ear all the night long while they sleep. Of course, it's useless for teaching, but as a method for giving post-hypnotic suggestions, it is invaluable. It's what conditions our mind to love our future role in life. Now, students, tell me some of the lessons we've all learned through sleep teaching. A gram is better than a dam. A good example. We have learned to take a gram of soma whenever we feel out of sorts. Euphoric, narcotic, pleasantly hallucinant. It transports our minds into a beautiful sleep filled with wonderful images. It gives a, a soma holiday, thus preventing unnecessary impulses such as anger, jealousy, envy, anxiety. Next. Uh, ending is better than mending. Mm -hmm. Good. It's better to throw away something than to repair it. New clothing, new possessions keep our factory humming and make us happier. Next. I'm glad I'm not a gamma. <laughs> oh, yes. We're all taught in our sleep to enjoy our own cast, whatever it may be. Gammas are taught to think. I'm glad I'm not an epsilon. Betas learn to be glad they're not deltas or gammas. I'm glad they're not alphas, because we alphas sometimes have to use our minds and that's very painful. <laughs> that's very good. Very good indeed. Well, students, I think our tour is over for today. I'm sure most of you have pneumatic dates. Some, of course, will be wanting to get in a game of obstacle golf. But uh, before we finish, I'd like to add a few footnotes to the things you've seen today. Today, we have a controlled society, a happy society. We have stability. Ah. There was a time when these things did not exist. Didn't people grow old and feeble in those days, sir? Indeed they did. Old men in the bad old days used to renounce, retire, take to religion, spend their time reading, thinking. Thinking. Now such is progress. At 60, we have the tastes and the powers of a 17-year-old. Why, the old people have no time, no leisure from pleasure, not a moment to sit down and think. They're much too busy scampering from feely to feely, from partner to nomadic partner. Yes. Fortunate students, no pains have been spared to make your lives emotionally easy, to preserve you, as far as possible from having emotions at all. Ford's in his fliver, all's well with the world. Ford's in his fliver, all's well with the world. And solemnly and devoutly, they made the sign of the T and hurried off to join their fellow citizens at play.
In spite of Fanny's dire warnings, Lenina Crown made a date that evening with the eccentric Mr. Marks, partly to show Fanny her courage and partly because she was curious. And when they were safely in their helicopter and climbing above the city, she turned to him. Shall we play escalator squash or go to the feelies? Escalator squash is a waste of time. But what else is time for? All right then, let's go to the feelies. You know, they're showing love on a bearskin rug. And everyone says it's terribly exciting. You can actually feel Nina, the- please. Couldn't we just go for a walk and be alone together? But, Bernard, we'll be alone all night. I, I meant alone for talking. Talking? Well, what about? Oh, you're beginning to feel nasty. I can tell. Take a soma, Bernard. I'd rather be myself. Myself and nasty. Not somebody else, however jolly. A gram in time saves nine. Oh, for Ford's sake, be quiet. Bernard! Lenina, don't you ever want to be just you? Not enslaved by your own conditioning? To be free? But I am free. I'm free to have the most wonderful time. Everybody's happy nowadays. But wouldn't you like to be free to be happy in your own way? And not somebody else's? I simply don't understand you. Bernard, do you really like me? Everyone says I'm awfully nomadic. Eventually, Bernard took Lenina to the Westminster Abbey Cabaret, where Calvin Stokes and his 16 saxophonists were playing. Also featured was London's finest scent and color organ, and all the latest synthetic music. With the aid of four Soma tablets, Bernard managed to spend a successful evening with the girl, and the next morning he agreed to apply at once for a permit to visit the Savage Reservation. He was quite nervous as he stood before the desk of the Director of Hatcheries and Conditioning. Oh, going to take Lenina Crown, I see. Yes, sir. Very pneumatic. Uh, yes, sir. New Mexico Reservation, how long ago was it? Let me see. 20, 25 years? Hmm. I must have been your age then. Sir? I had the same idea as you. Wanted to have a look at the savages. Got a permit for New Mexico and went there for my summer holiday. With my girl of the moment. She was a beta minus, I think. Ah, yes. She had yellow hair and was especially pneumatic. Well, it was terrible. We rode about on horses and all that, and in the last day of our stay, she got lost. Somewhere in those horrid mountains. Lost. We never did find her, poor girl. Must have fallen in some crevice. Yes, we searched for days, but no luck. Oh, miserable trip. You must have had a terrible shock. What? Oh, don't imagine there was anything unethical about it. Nothing emotional or long-drawn. It was all perfectly healthy and normal. I'm sure it was, sir. Oh, Mr. Marks. I should like to take this opportunity to... Saying I'm not at all pleased with the reports I've received of your behavior outside working hours. Alphas are so conditioned that they do not have to be infantile in their emotional behavior. But that is all the more reason for their making a special effort to conform. And so, Mr. Marks, I give you fair warning. Uh, 
Yes, sir. If I ever again hear of any lapse from a proper standard of infantile decorum, I shall ask for your transference to a sub-center, preferably to Iceland. Good morning. The journey was quite uneventful. The Blue Origin rocket lost four minutes in a tornado over Texas, but was able to land at Santa Fe less than 40 seconds behind schedule. Lenina and Bernard slept that night at Santa Fe, and Lenina was very happy. Imagine 60 escalator squash racket courts in the hotel. An obstacle and electromagnetic golf too, oh Bernard. It's simply too lovely. Uh, there will be no scent organ te organs, televisions, or even hot water once we get out on the reservation. I can stand it, you'll see. Only, progress is lovely, isn't it? They took a rocket ship into the interior, and from there they traveled on horseback. And all Bernard could think about was Iceland, and how cold and barren it would be. The director's warning had made him even quieter and more sullen than usual. And that evening, as they reached their destination, before them was the village of the Malpai, situated on a mesa, adobe hovels growing out of the stony ground, dust and squalor, and the smell of wood smoke. What an awful place. I don't like it. Who's that man coming towards us? He's to be our guide. I'm frightened, Bernard. Quiet. We shouldn't have come. Oh, good morrow. You civilized, aren't you? You come from outside? From other place? My name is Bernard Marks. This is Lenina Crown. <laughs> My name's John. Come with me. He speaks English. That's strange. Probably trained as a guide. Where is he leading us? To that hut, I believe. There seems to be some sort of activity over there. Orgy, porgy, why, it's like our lower caste community sing, only look. Now they're beating themselves with whips. Oh no, Bernard! It's got something to do with their religion. What a, what a wonderful intensity of feeling it must generate. I often think one may have missed something in not having passions like that. Nonsense, Bernard. What's wrong with that man? Where? Oh, well, he's just old, that's all. Old? But, but we don't look like that when we're old. He's so... Wrinkled. So... Oh, it's horrible. That's because we age all at once. We stay 17 until we're 60 or so, and then... And then we die, and they burn our bodies to recover our phosphorus for the good of the world state. Just as it should be. But this... <gasps> what is it? That... That woman! Oh, Bernard, no. Take me away! Take me away! She's only nursing her baby, Lenina. That's her child. She's the mother. Bernard! How can you be so vulgar? I think I'll be sick. Please, Bernard, anywhere. Anywhere. Is something wrong? I think we'd better take Lenina inside. Over here. Follow me. <gasps> My Soma! I'm out of Soma, Bernard. I'm sorry, Lenina. I didn't bring any. Oh! 
Here, inside. This is my home. This is my home, and you're welcome to remain here. John? John? Yes, Mother. <gasps> mother? These people are from the outside, Mother. They have come to see the reservation. From the other place? You're from the other place. Don't come near me. Uh, but don't you see? I'm from there, too. I'm civilized. I don't belong here. It's, it's all terrible mistake. This is my mother, Linda. Uh, were you born here? No. No, I tell you. I was decanted like normal people. Oh, thank Ford someone has come at last. Thank Ford. Bernard. Bernard, please, keep her away. Could you tell us about yourself, please? Well, I came here 25 years ago with a man. His name was Thomas. We went riding together on, on horses. There was a terrible storm. I got lost, lost in this horrible place. It was the last day of our stay. He left me here, alone. Lenina? Yes? You'll be interested to know that our director of hatcheries and conditioning is named Thomas, and that he came here 25 years ago. No. Oh. No. No! And that... It can't be! But it is. He told me so himself. <laughs> what a discovery! This boy, this boy is our director's son! Our director is a father! <laughs> oh! It's too terrible. Mother, what is he saying? Iceland. Iceland indeed. Bernard, stop it. Well, well, we'll see who tells who where to go now. Uh, John. Yes, sir? How would you and your mother like to return to civilization? <gasps> do you mean it? Oh, please, do you? Listen, they're crazy here. I was a beta minus. I always worked in the fertilizing room. I was a good worker. But how can I tell them? They don't understand. They mend things. They don't know what a helicopter is. Or, or, or Soma. They have babies like dogs. Oh, it's too revolting. Oh, thank Ford. If it hadn't been for my son, for John, what a comfort he has been to me. Your son? Oh, how can you? You! A beta minus! I know, I know. But he's been a comfort to me just the same. Oh, if only I'd had Soma. Oh, do you mean it? Will you take us back to civilization? Of course. We'll leave tomorrow. <laughs> you and your son, back to civilization. And Bernard was as good as his word. That very night, he and John and his mother took Lenita on the Blue Origin rocket to London. For Lenita, it was a happy trip since she had taken four Somas the minute they got back to the hotel. For John, it was a voyage of discovery. For poor Linda, his mother, well, she could only weep for joy. But for Bernard, it was a moment of triumph. Triumph such as he had never known before. In the garden outside the London Hatchery and Conditioning Center, it was playtime. 
naked in the warm June sunshine, six or seven hundred little girls and boys were running with shrill yells over the lawns or playing games or squatting silently in twos and threes among the flowering shrubs. And strolling across the smooth turf came the director of hatcheries and conditioning, followed eagerly by a group of new students. Here we have playtime for our little tots. Notice the games all carefully constructed to use as many mechanical devices as possible. In olden times, children used to play simple games using only a ball and bat. Ha! Madness. Nothing was added to increase consumption. Then came our Ford. He taught us the principle of mass production and mass production in the assembly line many centuries ago and changed all that. Good morning, director. Sir, what an unexpected pleasure. Students, this is the resident controller for Western Europe. This is his Ford ship, Mustafa Mond. I was just showing the students the children, sir. Lovely children, busy as bees at their unrestricted play. Controller, if you have the time, I wonder if you might tell the students something about the bad old days. I might. Where were you taking them? to the hatchery and conditioning center to see the manufacturing of the babies. Very well. I'll walk along with you. Ah. Yes, in the old days, children lived in a place called home. A rabbit hole with suffocating intimacies. Maniacally, the mother. Oh, please, don't be shocked at that verb. The mother brooded over her children. Her children. Our Ford, or our Freud, as for some inscrutable reason, he chose to call himself whenever he spoke of psychological matters. Our Freud was the first to reveal the appalling dangers of family life. Yes, unpleasant as they may seem, students, these are facts. People used to be viviparous, give birth to their children. What were the consequences? A world dominated by mothers and fathers. It was a world of every kind of perversion, from sadism to chastity. There were also husbands, wives, and lovers. Now everyone belongs to everyone else. Thank Ford for progress. Thank, Thank Ford. Actually, we still preserve a few outmoded ethics of pre-stable societies in our savage reservations. Did you ever visit a reservation, Director? Yes. I once went to look at the savages in New Mexico. Oh, that must have been 25 years ago. Mother's, father's marriage. Ah, very repulsive. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, here we are. I'll say goodbye. Goodbye, controller, and thank you. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. And now, students, if you'll follow me inside the hatchery. And here we are, a hive of activity. Alpha's superintending, Beta's doing the skilled work, Gamma's in green, busy at routine jobs, and Delta's in khaki, incapable of doing anything except sweeping the floor. Every member of society perfectly content to belong to his predestined caste, except for a few criminal exceptions. Which reminds me, one of those criminal exceptions is meeting us here at 11, and Alpha Plus no less. 
Mr. Bernard Marks. Uh, what has he done, sir? What has he done? He refuses to participate in mechanical sports. He is lax. He... Oh, here he comes now. Good morning, Director. Mr. Marks. You and Lenina Crown returned from the Savage Reservation last night, I understand. Yes, sir. We visited some of the places you told me about last week, Director. In fact, we... Silence. Your attention, please. Everyone step this way. If I have interrupted your labors, it is because a painful duty constrains me. This man who stands before you, this Alpha Plus, the highest level of society, has grossly betrayed the trust imposed in him by his heretical views on sports and soma. By his scandalous refusal to be promiscuous, he has proved himself an enemy of society, a subverter, ladies and gentlemen, of all order and stability, a conspirator against civilization itself. For this reason, I am ordering his immediate transference to a subcenter of the lowest order in Iceland. He will have small opportunity to lead others astray by his unforwardly example. Bernard Marks, can you show any reason why I should not now execute the judgment passed upon you? Yes, I can. <gasps> what did you say? You told me you visited the Savage Reservation 25 years ago, Director, with a young Beta Minus, I believe. You told me she was lost during a storm and that you returned without her. I thought perhaps you'd like to see her again. Linda! <laughs> Thomas? Thomas? Oh, Thomas, it's me. Don't you remember? You're Linda. Oh, I knew I'd recognize you, Thomas. You look just the same. No one ages here. Thomas, look at me. I'm Linda. Remember? Hug me. Hold me. What is the meaning of this? Who is this hag? Thomas! Oh, Thomas, it's Linda. Linda, you're beta minus. John, look, it's him. It's your father. Father? Father! What's the meaning of this disgusting joke? Who is this savage and this dreadful woman? Take them away! This isn't a joke. It's absolutely true. I'm his mother and you're his father. Father, it's me, John. I'm your son. And now, now who's guilty of antisocial behavior, director? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. A father as director of hatcheries and conditioning? It was out of the question. The controller asked for his resignation, and all upper caste London was wild to see the savage and his mother. Bernard Marx became a hero, and even Lenina Crown had her share of reflected glory. Good morning, Lenina. Oh, good morning, Fanny. Well, you certainly seemed pleased with yourself. Yes, I am pleased. Bernard called up half an hour ago. He has to go to a party at the Controllers, and he asked me if I'd take the Savage to the Feelies this evening. Oh, lucky girl. What's he like, Lenina? I've heard he's terribly good-looking. Oh, he is. But so very odd. In what way? Well, the day Bernard and I left the reservation, the savage came into my room. 
I'd taken a soma, so I didn't notice him until suddenly I awakened, and there he was, bending over me. What happened? Well, naturally, I assumed something was going to happen, but instead of that, he just ran out of the room. Well, how odd. What a terribly ungentlemanly thing to do. Doesn't he like you? Oh, I'm sure he does, Fanny. So, I can't make it out. And please don't tell this to anyone, Fanny. It, it upsets me because I like him. I mean, I really like him. <gasps> Lenina! I know, it's immoral. But I just can't help it. I do like him. The days passed. Success went fizzily to Bernard's head. His diffidence turned to bumptiousness. His nonconformity was forgotten, and he became completely orthodox. The resident world controller appointed him official escort for the savage and asked him to make regular reports on the young man's reactions to civilization. This Bernard did, assiduously. Today, I sent the savage to the Feelies with Lenina Crown. The feature was three weeks in a helicopter. Instead of holding the knobs on the chair arms, thus enabling him to experience the sensations of the lovers on the screen, the savage refused to participate. Lenina tells me he called the film vulgar and indecent. The savage refuses to take Soma and seems most distressed because the woman, Linda, his M-O-T-H-E-R, remains permanently on Soma holiday. In spite of her senility and the extreme repulsiveness of her appearance, the savage frequently goes to see her and appears much attached to her. What do you mean you refuse to come down to dinner? Bernard, I'm sick. I've eaten civilization and I'm sick. Do you realize that I've invited the most important people in London tonight? The Ford Chief Justice is here. The Arch Community Songster of Canterbury has flown in just to meet you. You've changed, Bernard. You used to feel the same way I do about things. I talked to Hemholtz Watson. She says you've changed, too. I haven't. Listen, if you don't come downstairs for my dinner party, I'll be the laughingstock of London. I'll come. Just let me read this to you first. Hmm. One day, many years ago, I found this book in my mother's room. The Indians had found it in a cave. It must be hundreds of years old. Hmm. It's called The Complete Works of William Shakespeare. Oh, I've heard of him. We don't allow it. Smut. But he says all the things I feel about Lenina. Listen to this. Hmm. Is there no pity sitting in the clouds that sees into the bottom of my grief? Oh, sweet my mother, cast me not away. Delay this marriage for a month, a week. <laughs> marriage? Oh, Ford, no. Bernard! Oh, marriage. That's too good, really. <laughs> Bernard, stop it. And, and mother, 
Oh, sweet my mother. <laughs> it's positively vulgar. You stop it. Wait till I tell Helmholtz about this. <laughs> you stop it or I'll hit you. Oh, come now. Where's your sense of humor? Burner. Can't you see how funny it is? Get out. I said leave me alone. I, I'm leaving, John. I'm leaving. How beauteous mankind is. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it. The next morning, a pneumatic young girl, crisply clad in a beta-minus viscous linen suit, stood outside the door of the savage's apartment and somewhat nervously rang the buzzer. Uh, what? Lenina? You don't seem very glad to see me, John. Not glad? Oh, if you only knew. May I come in, then? May I kiss your hand, Lenina? My hand? I admired Lenina. Indeed, the top of admiration. Worth the dearest in the world. I wanted to do something for you first, to show you I was worthy of you. What are you talking about? Lenina, tell me something. I'll do anything you tell me. Anything at all. I'd sweep the floor if you wanted. But we've got vacuum cleaners here. It isn't necessary. No, of course it isn't necessary. But some kinds of baseness are nobly undergone. I'd like to undergo something noble, just to show you how much I love you, Lenina. Do you mean it, John? Well, yes, but I hadn't meant to say it until now. I... Listen, Lenina, on the reservation, people get married. Get what? For always. They make a promise to live together. For always. Oh, what a disgusting idea. Answer me this question, John. Do you really like me, or don't you? I love you more than anything in the world. Well then, why on earth didn't you say so? Come here to me, John. Hug me. Oh, but Lenina... Hug me till you drug me, honey. Kiss me till I'm in a coma. Lenina, what are you doing? No, no, get away from me. Don't come near me. Hug me, honey. You... You strumpet. A gram is better than a dam. Get out. But don't you want me? Get out of my sight. <gasps> John! Before I kill you. Why, he's mad. He's gone mad. Oh, thou weed, who art so lovely, fair, and smell so sweet that the sense aches at thee. Impudent strumpet, impudent strumpet, impudent strumpet! Hello? Yes, this is Mr. Savage. Who's ill? Linda? My mother? Dying? Well, yes, yes, I'll come at once. Welcome to the Park Lane Hospital for the Dying. You've come to see someone in the Galloping Solenality Ward? Yes. My mother. Oh, how vulgar. You know who I mean. Linda. Oh, oh yes. Room 43. 
bed 16. She'll be dying any minute now. This way, please. Is there any hope? Well, of course not. Or else she wouldn't have been sent here. Now through these doors. What are these children doing here? Death conditioning, of course. It starts at 18 months. Every tot spends two mornings a week in the hospital for the dying. All the best toys are kept here, and they get chocolate ice cream on death days. They learn how to take dying as a matter of course. This way. Ah, here we are. Well, I must go. I have my batch of children coming. Time for their chocolate ice cream. Linda? Linda, it's John. Your eyes are open, but you don't know me, do you? It's John, your son. Linda? Linda, don't you know me? Hug me till you drug me, honey. Kiss me till I'm in a coma. Linda, Linda! Mother! The menial staff at the Park Lane Hospital for the Dying consisted of 162 Deltas, 84 red-headed female twins, and 78 identical developmentally stunted male twins. At six, when their working day was over, the two groups assembled in the vestibule of the hospital and was served their daily Soma ration. It was in this crowd that the savage walked, so overcome with his grief and his remorse that he did not realize he was shouldering his way into the gathering throng. All right, all right, here it is. Soma distribution, in good order, please. Oh, hurry up there. Stand in line for your Soma! Linda. Linda died because of this. Oh, now don't grab. There's enough for everybody. One gram for an evening's delight, two for a trip to the gorgeous east, and four for a weekend in paradise. Oh, how beauteous mankind is. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it. Stop! Stop! Oh, Ford! <laughs> Listen, I beg you, lend me your ears. Don't take that horrible stuff. It's poison. Mr. Savage, please. The people are waiting. Your slaves, all of you. Don't you want to be men? Don't you want your freedom? Freedom? Lord Almighty, call the police! From somewhere behind the milling, angry crowd, Bernard Marx saw the savage. He and his friend Helmholtz Watson had been searching for John. Now, they hurried forward. Helmholtz, he's mad. They'll lynch him. Oh, Ford, help us. Ford, help those who help themselves, Bernard. Come on! Where are you going? Come back! It's a fight! A real fight! I've been waiting all my life for this! Minute last! I'll make you free whether you want to be or not. Give me those boxes of Soma. Sir! Mr. Savage, no! Just stop it! Just stop it! Himholtz, 
join me? Yes! Throw the poison pills away! By all means, throw them away! Stop it! Freedom! Be a man and be free! Freedom! Throw them away! Give them the solar spray! Free! Stand up as men! Win your freedom! Soma! Soma spray! Win! John! Your! John! Freedom! Take them to the resident controller's office! All right, all right, it's all over now. We're all happy now. Yes, we're so happy. We all love each other, don't we? Oh, yes, we all love each other. Line up for your Soma! So you don't much like civilization, Mr. Savage? No, I don't. John, you're talking to the resident controller. We don't need your comments, Mr. Marx. I think civilization is horrible. And yet, people are happy. They get what they want, and they never want what they can't get. They're well off, they're safe, they're never ill. They're not afraid of death. They're blissfully ignorant of passion and old age. They're plagued with no mother or father. They've got no wives or children to feel strongly about. They're so conditioned that they practically can't help behaving as they ought to behave. And you ask them to chuck this all away? For liberty? My good boy. All the same. It seems quite horrible to me. Of course it does. Actual happiness always looks pretty squalid in comparison with the overcompensations for misery. And being contented has none of the glamour of a good fight against misfortune. Happiness is never grand. They call this happiness? Working in an embryo assembly line? Manufacturing babies? my boy. Besides, they like it. <sighs> well, Mr. Marx, the time has come. You are being sent to an island. To, to an island? Oh, please, sir, don't send me to Iceland. I promise I'll do what I should. I'll, I'll conform to the rules. One would think he was going to have his throat cut. Whereas, if he had the smallest sense, He'd understand his punishment is really a reward. He'll be sent to an island where he'll meet the most interesting set of men and women in the world. All the people who weren't satisfied with orthodoxy. Everyone, in a word, who's anyone. Then why don't you go to the island yourself? Because I prefer this. Sometimes I regret it. Happiness is a hard master, particularly other people's happiness. <laughs> well, there are many islands available. Which climate do you choose, Miss Watson? Well, I should 
I should like a thoroughly bad climate. I think I'd write better if I had to contend with difficulties. Mm, how about the Falcon Islands? That would be fine. Good. You may leave now. You too, Mr. Marks. Goodbye, Hemholtz, and goodbye, Bernard. Goodbye, John. Goodbye, John. One more question. Of course. Where's God in this scheme of yours? Oh, it's a subject that has always had great interest for me. You've never read this, of course. The Holy Bible, Old and New Testament. We've got quite a few revolting old books like that here. But if you know about God, why don't you tell the people? The book is old. It's about God hundreds of years ago. Not God now. But God doesn't change. Men do, though. No, my friend. Call it the fault of civilization. God isn't compatible with machinery and scientific medicine and universal happiness. But when you're alone, it's natural to believe in God. When you're quite alone at night, thinking about death. But people are never alone now. We make them hate solitude, and we arrange their lives so that it's almost impossible for them to ever have it. No solitude, no God. Is that why there's no self-denial here? No God, no reason for it. Of course. Industry and prosperity are only possible when there is no self-denial. If there were, the wheels would stop turning. But God's the reason for everything. Noble and fine and heroic. <laughs> My dear young friend, civilization has absolutely no need for nobility or heroism. You're conditioned so that you can't help doing what you ought to do. And what you ought to do is, on the whole, so pleasant. So many of the natural impulses are allowed free play that there really aren't any temptations to resist. Anybody can be virtuous now. No temptations, no inconveniences. Well, but I like the inconveniences. We don't. We prefer to do things comfortably. But I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. Well, in fact, you're claiming the right to be unhappy. All right. I'm claiming the right to be unhappy. Not to mention the right to grow old and ugly and impotent. The right to have cancer. The right to have too little to eat. The right to live in constant apprehension of what may happen tomorrow. The right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. I claim them all. Then you're welcome to them. Bernard and Helmholtz left for their islands. But the savage was not allowed to go with them. The controller wished to continue the experiment. Three weeks later, the savage ran away. After some days of wandering, he took refuge in an old abandoned lighthouse. 
But his desire for solitude was not to be fulfilled. His hiding place was discovered. There were articles in the papers. Sightseers came by the thousands. One Sunday, Lenina Crown came for a picnic with three of her latest boyfriends. The day after her visit, the two young reporters came to call, hoping for an exclusive interview. The door of the lighthouse was ajar. They pushed it open and walked into a shuttered twilight. Through an archway on the further side of the room, they could see the bottom of the staircase that led up to the higher floors of the lighthouse. Just under the crown of the arch, dangled a pair of feet. They called. No one answered. They saw him at last. The savage had found solitude. He was alone, quite alone. Thus concludes Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. We wish to thank Mr. Huxley for traveling through time to appear on this show as our narrator. And we would also like to thank you, our listeners, for your enthusiastic response to Live at the Five. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming out to At The Five tonight. We are live at the Five Opera House in the Pioneer City of Palestine. Right now, let's hear it for the Five Opera House players. Tom Compton and I played Henry in The Brave New World. Ryan Pinkston, Dan in The Voice of Death, and John in Brave New World. I'm Rowan Gray. I played Bernard Marks in A Brave New World. I'm Guilty Wilson. I was the weird Dr. Guilty and Aldous Huxley in A Brave New World. I'm Rachel Carter, and I played controller Mustafa Mond in Brave New World. I'm Laurel Preston. I was Jane in Voice of Death and Lenina Crown in Brave New World. Jessica Basile, I was Sydney Rand in Voice of Death, and Helmholtz Watson and Linda in Brave New World. I'm Gray Drake. I played the nurse and Fanny in Brave New World, and Blanche in Voice of Death. I'm Chris Wilson. I uh, played Gerald in The Voice of Death, and Thomas, the director of... <laughs> Hatcheries and Conditioning in Brave New World. And once again, my name's Tony Collins. I'm the guy in the chair running the board. Once again, thanks for coming out tonight. Now let's uh, hear another word here from Guilty and Rachel. Well, again, like Tony said, thanks for coming yes, out tonight. We hope you enjoyed this presentation of some weird and uh, freaky-deaky stories. I think they were pretty... Interesting. I thought they were really cool, but and, we're biased because we picked them. Yeah, we and, and don't ask us how we picked them. Did, how did we pick them? They're free. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Also, <laughs> in two months, see, favorite March, April. Yeah, April. <laughs> at the end of April, we'll be doing another one of these. We haven't figured out what scripts we're going to use this time, but we're going to go comedy on the next yeah, one. Yeah. So. A little laughter instead of bringing you down. Keep your eyes peeled for that one. Last weekend in April. 
And once again, thank you guys for coming out tonight. That is our show. Thank you. We do not validate parking. <laughs> Prepare to be terrified. Lawford County Productions presents the unlisted owner director's cut. Featuring nine minutes of never before seen footage. Out now via Amazon streaming and coming soon to Blu-ray and DVD. You've been warned. Welcome back, and uh, you missed it. Tony was singing she san- sea shanties, she shanties yeah. by the seashore. Well, it's because I spend too much damn time on TikTok. And <laughs> anybody who's on TikTok knows Wellerman, or the uh, current trend is everything Viking. Uh, well, I was trying to get the record button hit fast enough so I could catch a piece of that, but I didn't. Tony, oh, so. thank God. <laughs> we want people to tune into the Nerd Up podcast, not uh, uh, disown it. Uh, Ooh, uh, unsubscribe? <laughs> no, not that. Uh, but yeah, so there we go. That was a brave new world as performed by the Five Opera House players, and uh, a great cast of people. And I kept the uh, at the end where people they introduced themselves so that people could know who was in the cast. And we're going to be doing more of these. And again, I like the idea of an audio drama and uh, putting it on the podcast. I think it's great. Eventually, I think the Fife might be starting their own podcast. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But. Until then, it'll be here on the Nerd Up Podcast. Well, and again, all of this is done as a kind of a passion project for those of us that are involved at the Fife Opera House to, mm-hmm. to help them gain awareness for this fantastic facility. Mm-hmm. One of the issues that they have is, is it's in downtown Palestine, but it's on the upstairs. It's on the second yeah. floor of the building. So if you go by big, beautiful windows in the front of the building, but it's just a basically a big empty room yeah. downstairs. It's yeah. more of a banquet hall downstairs. You have to go upstairs to really appreciate the theater. Last time when we were there, uh, I was trying to pitch them the idea of posting some fantastic pictures of the theater. Yes. Posting or, or you those, said something about a video screen. Yeah. Put a, shoot some great video in there and just have that on a loop and a big TV in that front window. Yeah. And the, and the Fife Opera House uh, it started, they constructed it back, uh, let's see, was it uh, 1898 is when they started building it. And I think it finally shut down in 1908. So it, it wasn't long for the thing. It then became a, a hardware store, a mutual, yeah, funeral home. It's been and, a hardware store, a funeral home, <laughs> mortuary, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, so, yeah. yes, we have done a, a little. Low-key ghost investigations in there. Yes, yeah, know. there have been. Yeah, and, and the thing is, the, the 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 backdrop for us is it's a it's a, it's a hand painted. I mean, back in the I want to say early 1900s is when they created these scenes. But the artists were from Sozman and Lands. They were a Chicago company that uh, did stage uh, murals and for you know for performances. And we were yeah. honored. We have a lot of those left. Some of them are in pretty bad shape, but the one that's hanging that mainly is in a really beautiful shape, and well, that's, that's the one thing that gets remarks. The Palestine Preservation Project Society uh, spent some spent uh, quite a bit of money in having those restored, yeah. professionally restored. At least that one has been professionally restored, and then the theater itself mm-hmm. has been cleaned and restored. There's a portion of it that, I don't know, they had a fire or a leak at some point. But you can kind of see the damage yeah. of what it used to look like in one corner. 
and then the rest of it is the restore the restoration. And project. I think they're working on uh, trying to raise funds to get that glassed off so that it, it'll still be maintained. It won't keep tearing down, but you can see what it originally looked right. like. So you know, like museums, whenever they do like sure. something behind glass, that's what they're going to do. But again, it all takes money. Yep, it all takes money. Nothing in the world is free. So anything we can do to help uh, support the Palestine Preservation Project Society and the Fife, we're, we're all about it. Yeah, and, we're, and again, that's why you're going to hear more of these shows. And if any time you can, and listen frankly, to the show. And frankly, we're all a bunch of egocentric douchebags and just like hearing the sound of our own voices that's and part getting of it, together <laughs> with uh, friends and <laughs> acting a fool. So. Yeah, we all like that. But, uh, but yeah, that's why if you listen to the shows, there's a moment there each time where we mention how, to, how do you can help support the Fife. And so if you do, feel free. We'd love it. Uh, at the same time, just keep listening to the Nerd Up podcast because we're we're going to bring you some more of those shows. Well, and, uh, you can catch you can check the Five Opera House out on uh, Facebook, right? Don't they have a Facebook yep. page at, at the Five? At or? the Five, yep. And, and that's, that's at the word at the Five, not just the symbol, right? <laughs> so, but at the Five on Facebook, you can find out more. Keep going. Uh, what, what other stuff they have going on and what we're doing as well. So. But, uh, yeah, I promise, Tony, next time you can talk about Picard. All right, good. I'm going to talk about Last of Us. Okay. Because uh, I have HBO Max. HBO <laughs> Max. I can talk about The Ranch. I have Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I got Netflix, we've been so. watching Sam Elliott. And, oh, yeah. And uh, we won't talk about the other guy in The Ranch. Uh, there's Ashton Kutcher. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy, who is also from that 70s show, is no longer on the ranch. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, he's facing some allegations yeah. of some. That's not, why he's uh, not in the '90s show. <laughs> yeah, he's facing some allegations for some very unsavory things. Mm, okay, All so right. and we're not talking about Fez. So <laughs> yeah, no, he was in the ranch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was he really? Yeah, he was in a few episodes of the ranch. I'll be darned. Yep. All right. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a that '70s show reunion uh, with uh, Sam because, Elliott. <laughs> with Sam Elliott, yeah, because. Um, the guy who played Red is in it. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> is it Kitty? Yeah, uh-huh. Kitty Foreman. Yeah, yeah yep. she's in it. She... I, I saw an old episode of ER from, like, 93. She was a patient. Oh, wow. And it was, like, a young Kitty Foreman. I'm like, oh, that's cool. The uh, <laughs> the guy who plays Bobby on Supernatural. Yeah. He's yeah. in it. Oh, really? Yeah. He's in Deadwood, too. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. yeah I think I did. I, I keep seeing that. I'm like, Bobby! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Anyway, uh, what's his name? Jay- Beaver? Uh, is it James? I don't it's know. Beaver. Beaver's his last name. That's, I don't remember. <laughs> I can remember that one. All right. So, well, that was it for the uh, Brave New World. And again, we'll be back to talk nerdy for you because we got upcoming NerdCon in Robinson, Illinois. Uh, you can find NerdCon Robinson, Illinois on Facebook and find out what we got going on. And we'll be talking about that as well. So, like we say at the end of every episode, stay nerdy. Nerd up. Classic Hits, WTYE. Listen online at WTYEFM.com. Via the TuneIn Radio app. Or say Alexa, play Classic Hits, WTYE. It's all online. Classic Hits, WTYE, with the news that matters to you. Visit WTYEFM.com and follow us on Twitter at WTYE News. The news you trust, the music you love. Classic Hits, WTYE.